Hello, everyone, and welcome to Optimal Bio's Town Hall Meeting. And uh, today, it's I think you're going to have a lot of fun with this. I think most of us will be able to identify with putting on a little weight. And also, chronic diseases is something that we uh, are going to be talking about. And joining us here is our medical director and owner of Optimal Bio, Dr. Greg Brandon, and, of course, a partner and also a patient, Jim Baker. And to both of you, thank you for taking time. For those of you watching on Facebook, we not only invite you, we encourage you to join in. If you have a comment or a question, we'll address it and uh, get right to it. So no hesitation. Let's just jump into it. And I read an article today, and I'll start off with this, that the people that have been away from work in the lockdown have on average gained five pounds in this relatively short period of time. Weight gain seems to be an issue with almost all Americans. How come there's this issue, doctor? How long do we have today? About five, six hours? <laughs> so this is quite an issue, huh? Yeah, it really is, and it's really sad because 65% of Americans are overweight. A third of them are obese by definition of BMI over 35. There was an interesting paper that came out um, in 2018. It looked at our military. 17% of, of our military was overweight in 1998. After 20 years of the American standard American diet, SAD, it's over 82% overweight in our military. Wow. So there are physiological reasons why we gain weight as we age. It's really important to understand gut-brain access with the vagal nerve, the interrelationship between our hormones and our gut bacteria. So the answer is it's very, very complicated, but it's when you do gain weight as you age, it's not make-believe, it's real, it's not because you're lazy. 5% of our weight is exercise, the other 95% is how we eat and what we eat. You know, I was going through some photographs over the weekend. My dad is uh, just turned 90. So rather thin man and, and still good health. And I noticed my grandparents also weren't overweight. Is that something that's relatively new to our generation and our kids? Or what is the difference between yesterday and today? It's very interesting. When you look, I'm going to go over a couple of history things later on. But it, it, when you look at it, you can look back at a lot of things like diabetes, metabolic syndrome, polycystic ovarian syndrome. And you can look back around 1980 and start seeing the curves increase in all those. And metabolic syndrome is diabetes, hypertension, increased weight circumference, and increased lipids. And it's very interesting, Bill, when the government changed over to our food, the standard American diet, uh, and eating not nine to 13 grains a day. People don't realize that how much sugar is packed away in grains. And we, we change our diet. You talk about our, great, our grandparents. They ate three meals a day, but they ate six in the morning, noon, done by five. And they ate a lot of free-range, grass-fed um, vegetables that are in the ground, the turnips, the, the spinaches, the, the, the uh, escargot, those kind of aspects of it. And they, they, they were more physically active. Our problem is the preservatives where the diet is, but I can't stress enough of the macromolecules, protein, fats, and carbohydrates. We have way too many carbohydrates, and that is the, actually the, the, the crux of it because carbohydrate metabolism causes inflammation. We'll go over the process later, but it's carbohydrates. I want to go to you, Jim, because I know we talked prior to going on on Facebook that you've done a little research. When we take a look at today's average weight for a male versus maybe, you know, 40, 50 years ago, uh, how big a difference is it? Well, I was kind of surprised. I always wanted to, I wanted to go back and look at some statistics. And the average female in 1960 weighed 140 pounds. And the average male in 1960 weighed 166 pounds. 
today, I shouldn't even say today, as of 2010, because that's they haven't done the 2020 stats yet, but as of 2010, what do you think the average female weighs as of 2010? I'm a smart man. I never guess a woman's weight. Go ahead and tell me. <laughs> 166 pounds. Are you kidding me? So the female wow. is the same weight now as a male was 50 years ago. And the male, of course, as of 2010, the average weight is around 197 pounds. So there's been a significant weight gain on both ends, 30 pounds basically, um, uh, uh, on both that um, you know we've experienced over the last 56 years. And, and to Dr. Brandon's point earlier, like you hear so many stories sometimes of you know I have some family members that um, you know are doing the right things. They're exercising. Um, you know, they're trying to, you know, go on diets, you know, and try different type of diets and what have you. And, you know, sometimes they work for a little while, but then they don't. Um, but some don't work at all. You know, is there, uh, what, is there something in the food? Is there something that changed, you know, in the 80s or the 90s that has precipitated this, you know, increased weight gain in everybody, you know, over that time frame? Yeah, I think so. Again, the food pyramid is very important. Also, the preservatives we had in our foods. Uh, there are thousands of preservatives that aren't even approved by the government. They're just grandfathered in. So we don't know a lot of these aspects of this. But our gut bacteria, I'm going to go over a, a, a roundup, glyphosate. That's on a lot of our, on our plants and our food when we eat those things. That kills our bacteria. This is under, interesting. We have about 7 trillion cells, human cells in the body. We have about 30 trillion viruses in our body and about 60 trillion bacteria. Our gut bacteria is very important. Have the right bacteria there. I'll give you an example. We we talk about SSRIs increase for people with depression. They take uh, things that increase serotonin, and that works on the brain. Ninety percent of our serotonin is made in the gut by our bacteria. Estrogen is metabolized by the gut in our bacteria. The, the bacteria in our gut. The vagal nerve, the largest nerve, connects the gut to the brain. It's so intricate. It's unbelievable how de- detailed it is. I do believe. Sit in offices. We've seen studies on that. The sit in the office is as bad for your lungs as, as smoking almost. So, Jim, it's interesting as we see this in history. There was a great paper I read about three, four months ago that showed men, this is in Europe, in, in England, from 1850 to 1880 versus men from 1880 to 1920. And it's interesting. They said the average man in the 1850s ate about three times the calories we eat today but they worked much more physical. They ate a lot of free-range hogs and a lot of turnips and greens. And the conclusion was, that how it all tied together was, you had to be, to be drafted to be five foot six. After the Industrial Revolution in England, we started canning meat, canning vegetables. For World War I and the Boer War, you had to be five foot three. They didn't have enough men to fill the void. We see that now today. When, the, when we, we get people involved in saying what to eat, and again, the standard American diet, sad makes a lot of sense to me. Our forefathers ate eggs. They walked, the greens. So I can't put one thing on it, but I can tell you one thing, there's not one diet for everything. Keto-ish is better for males. Keto-ish, if you have certain heart issues, may not be better. So there's, it's very complicated. It's very important to take a, a detailed history and look at a food, a food law. People think they eat good. Write down your food for three days and see if it is. But back to our forefathers, they ate three meals a day, say six o'clock in the morning, noon and five, they were done. They had, they were intermittent fasting without knowing it. Right. All right. And sugar used to be the most expensive spice additive in general. So like cookies were a big deal or baking was a big deal. But the process of sugar being more available 
Let's put a lot of other things. High cor- uh, fructose corn syrup, we'll get, we'll get that done to the liver. We go over and over and over again, but it's not, I want, here's what I want to leave, start with. You're not overweight because you're lazy. I want people to understand that, okay? They want to tell you, you're just not working out hard enough. That's not it. That's a component. But what you eat and how you eat is the major component. I will say this. So, I mean, the average weight gain, as I described before, there is a little qualifier, and that is we have gotten taller over the last 50 to 60 years also by about an inch on the female and an inch on the male. So that will add a little bit of the weight gain naturally. But that's a question I want to ask for you. We're gaining weight, but we're still getting taller. Why do we get taller? Nutrition. I mean, we, 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 still, have, we still have great nutrition overall. Um, uh, when you're born, you have this thing called epiphyseal plate in the bone, and that's genetically predetermined. And, but you could only reach that if you have certain nutrition status. You could see that. You could see how the Americans in the colonial age, when they came from Europe, they were average three, four inches taller back then by just being out of the dirty cities, being over here in the, in the air, the way they walked, the way they did the land. So it's not, it's not the magical about that. There's a genetic component, but it's actually the nutrition aspect of your food. Now, what, I'm sorry. sorry. I was going to say, well, what, what about the kids? Are they just the product of um, their parents' uh, eating habits? I mean, you have some very young kids who are obese same issues or is there something different going on there combination dr jason fung wrote two great books one called diabetes code one called obesity code and he goes through that in in his studies he thinks about 60 percent to 70 percent of obesity is genetic that we at this moment but there's definitely things you can do about that how your body cell how your body can use with the right nutrients we we really have fat doesn't make you fat extra carbohydrates do that's what's important to understand. It's insulin resistance that's the problem. And when Jim, when Jim asked that question about the height, I think overall we do have, it's hard to say it's because it's what foods. There's definitely a big push lately and a big move in the last, say, 10, 15 years, uh, not GMO food, free range, that kind of stuff. And that's back to the way we used to eat. Uh, eggs are good, eggs are bad. Eggs are good, eggs are bad. It's important to understand that they are good in the right case, and you know, but... It has to do with your with how you eat, but Jim, when you talk about the height, I can't say one answer. But overall, their sleep is when you grow. How's your sleep? But I think in the next generation or two, we're going to see what happened in 1850 to 1880 in England here. Now, I don't think we have a lot of we have a lot of guys sitting playing video games 12 hours a day for the dopamine surge. Right. We don't have people. We don't PE class in schools anymore. Right. I think we may have peaked. It's interesting. We have one of the most healthy generations in America right now for those who take advantage of what's there. But the ones who don't are one of the sickest generations. Like you talk about height. Regardless of height, the highest risk factor for a heart attack for a male is a waist over 40. Oh, wow. A woman with a waist over 35. That's the highest risk factor because that's an end result of metabolic syndrome. And metabolic syndrome is this insulin resistance where your body has too much, ins- too much sugar. But I want to go over that really important here. We've heard about visceral fat being, yes. Can I, we actually have a couple questions on Facebook right now. Okay. So I thought oh, sure. I would just yeah, jump, jump in. in. Let's yeah, do it. We don't yeah, wanna, jump in. We make sure we're sensitive to our audience and include them as much as we can. Uh, question one, I'm curious what you would recommend for autoimmune patients who feel like they are doing all the right things, eating a paleo diet, working out on gut health, exercising, sleeping pretty well on BHRT and still struggling with weight. Okay. And then the second question is, how does gluten play into all of this? Beautiful. First thing is Dr. Pamela Smith, one of the best functional medicine doctors I've ever heard lecture. She's that the country, we're internationally famous. She says for her autoimmune patients, she does three things automatically. 
no matter what it is, and I'll go over why we have autoimmune diseases. No, automatically, the first thing is get rid of gluten. Number two is to fix the gut, and number three is low-dose naloxone, okay, which is an opiate antagonist that actually has uh, immunological protection. So that's it. But the question you asked here, Jim, this patient asked about autoimmune, so you do all those things. Are you doing those things? Are you with a functional medicine doctor that looks at your particular needs? And it's not just give probiotics. Um, like for, for SIBO, small intestine bowel obstruct, uh, overgrowth. It's not just any probiotic, you first gotta see which ones. And the classic test is a breath test for methane and, and hydrogen. You just don't do it by stool. Stool's not positive. I, I go all detail on this, but, but Jim, it's very important to understand this. Every single disease we talk about, every disease, autoimmune, atherosclerosis, atherosclerosis, it doesn't matter. There are only three ways pathophysiologically this occurs. You have a membrane. You have oxidative stress, which is free radicals that damage it. You have your immune response responding overactively, called inflammation, and you have vascular injury. Doesn't matter what the cause is, from Alzheimer's to diabetes to rheumatoid arthritis. So what you wanna do is do whatever you can to strengthen that membrane. Fish oil, omega-3 fatty acids with the right ratio of omega-6s, the right ratio, makes the membrane more flexible, thus less chance of damage. Also, the mitochondria within each of those cells, when that gets dysfunctional, that cell tip dies. That's what whatever you can do to fix mitochondria. Jim, take this for a second here. Sure thing. You know, I can't really speak for the autoimmune piece of it. However, I can speak on, you know, as I said earlier, people trying to do everything they possibly can to lose weight and they simply can't lose weight. They're eating the right things, they're on certain diets, they reduce their carbs, um, they're doing some fasting. And I guess the, the one thing that uh, my wife actually, you know, was going through was she was fasting for about 12 hours a day. So she would have dinner around six or seven o'clock at night, then wouldn't eat anything again. Uh, drink anything until seven or eight o'clock the next morning and and still nothing was happening and then she uh, went and saw dr greg and greg said hey why don't you try fasting to 4 p.m in the afternoon so basically going on a and he'll be able to describe it better to me but basically you're giving yourself a window of about six hours to eat as opposed to a window of 12 hours to eat and she did that, and over the last three or four weeks, she's lost about 18 pounds. Oh my so goodness, far. can I ask though, is this uh, a calorie counting type of thing, or is there something more to this no. by fasting? No. I'll, I'll go over that in a second. All right. Let me tie back to this vascular energy stuff. This is really, really important. So every cell, cyanide works, quote unquote, to kill us by killing the mitochondria. Let that, and it works very quickly. Okay. So mitochondria, which takes the oxygen we breathe into the, the power plant, to make power keeps the cell functioning properly. So you wanna make sure that that mitochondria is like uh, MS or, or, or these disease, the Alzheimer's diseases or mitochondria die off in the neurons. The heart is 35% mitochondria. So you say, what do you do? Strengthen the membrane, strengthen the mitochondria. That will help, help the oxidative stress, that'll help the vascular injury, uh, vitamin D allows your immune system to work good, but not too much. We see that with that with the, with the COVID and those cytokinic storms. So I'm sorry, but I had to leave on that uh, phone call. So when Jim talked about intermittent fasting, that is one thing process because this high thing of, of insulin resistance is this: it's not really insulin resistance. Insulin has two functions. One is to push fat into a cell. One is to push sugar into a cell. All right. It doesn't stop pushing fat into a cell, so it's not resistant to that. 
It's resisting the pushing sugar into the cell. Why? Because sugar becomes toxic. If it's too high, the cell says, I'm going to die. So it blocks it. Now here's the problem with the extra sugar. The extra sugar now is not inert. It binds to things like red blood cells, brain cells, and it distorts the structure, causing more what? Inflammation, more vascular injury. So it all goes to those three things. So the, the, the thing with the, um, and, and our person who talked about the, um, the autoimmune syndrome, there, there, when I was in school, there are 40 of them. There's now 105 documented autoimmunes. And it has to go a molecule like gluten. Why gluten? Gluten is a protein made out of 33 amino acid structure that our body, the proteases in our body that break down proteins can't break it down. So what happens is if our membrane inside our, those are online, picture like a brick and mortar. Right. The, the part of the mortar is called zolin and oculin. That stays tight. What happens with damages and with inflammation, that opens up. Then a bigger molecule will go in. This protein molecule now is a foreign protein to your body. Your body does what it's supposed to do and attacks it. But the problem is there's other proteins in our body that sort of look like gluten or act that way. So you get these things that now they're attacking gluten, but now they'll attack the thyroid. Now they'll attack the joint, rheumatoid arthritis. That's why Dr. Pamela Smith talked about the three things she does. Get rid of gluten, get rid, uh, you know, fix the gut, and then low dose, so it decreases the immunity response. Well, go a ahead. More questions you, I, was, I was going to say, if you're, all on, questions all day long. If you're watching, so we please. we want to go back to that 16-hour fast, because there was a follow-up question on that as well. But before that, can one eat too much fat? Yes. Um, you have to take it, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, that's the thing, you're a doctor, you're gonna, you're gonna do these things. Um, I know that uh, Dr. Greg has talked a lot about the fact that, oh, go ahead. Okay, so what happened was, is about this whole intermittent fasting stuff, can you do that? Certain cases you can, especially women, keto's not, they need more complex carbohydrates than men. It's very important for hormonal balance. But I wanna go over a, a study. Uh, December 29th of 2019 in the New England Journal of Medicine. It talked about the only thing they know that in animal studies is proven, in some human studies, increase of longevity. In some mice studies, up to 40% longer in life was caloric restriction. But there are three ways to do caloric restriction. Macromolecules, eliminate carbohydrates, eliminate fat, eliminate protein, okay? The, over, the overall volume you eat, okay, caloric restriction, or time. And they found the time one called more time restricted feeding is the most optimal one. You don't count calories per se, you eat within that window. And this goes back to Dr. Jason Fung's book. He talks about around 14 hours of not eating, 12 to 14 hours. Your body goes, oh my gosh, I may not eat again. What do I need to do? First thing it does is burn fat. Remember I told you about insulin storing fat but not sure. storing sugar? Yeah. So the first place it stores it is the pancreas and the liver around the intestines. That's called visceral fat. So it starts burning that then the most important thing it does first for longevity is this, is it recycles and gets rid of our garbage. What do you do when proteins don't work anymore? They fold up and they sit in the cell. Well, over time that causes aging. So our body goes in there and gets rid of those. Other things it does is they'll say, okay, mitochondria, you have these walls. We like three, three quarters of it, the other quarter is dying. Let's replace it. So it's recycling it, that's what our body does. Uh, we used to think that brains don't recycle. We know now, we know now 40% of it does recycle over, over a few years. So our body doesn't have to cleanse itself, but that's about 14 hours. And back to our, we talked about our, our grandparents, they ate three meals a day, but they had 14 hour break. So I mean, why, that's amazing. Why, why with some patients though, 
a 16 hour fast works, but the 12 hour fast doesn't? It's just that the body takes longer to wake up? Probably, we, we think 12 is the minimum. Dr. Fung said he said eight hours to six doubles the benefits, six to four doubles the benefits. There are no papers to show how this does over long haul. And there are some people who believe in doing 72 hour fast, the cleanse. There's a guy, Dr. Peter Tia, a great website, uh, trained at Hopkins and Stanford. He tries to do, he tries to do a weekend of no eating every month, okay, or every quarter. But there, there is a lot of good science because what it does is the key thing, it's recycling, called autophagy, it re eats the bad cells. And the big one is the mitophagy where it recycles the bad mitochondria. So Jim, back to the whole idea. There's not one thing fits all, but the science shows our body in a starvation, in a starvation, non-malnourished state, 12, 14 hours, is the most optimal time to regenerate itself. And that's where testosterone comes in, vitamins come in. We'll go over that later. So you kind of got scientific for a little bit, which is good. Um, but I just want to, I think I already know the answer to this question, but I just want to make sure we don't uh, exclude the audience. I began an intermittent fasting 16, eight, a couple months ago, have done a couple 72 hour fasts. I work out three to four days a week. I'm seeing some improvement. What are your thoughts on intermittent fasting and what's the best way to go about it? Good, okay. First thing is this, intermittent fasting, by strict definition is when you don't eat for 24 hours. I like the phrase time-restricted feeding better. And within that time, eat healthy fats, then proteins, and then carbs. We talk about carbohydrates increasing insulin resistance, so does protein. Not as much as carbs, but so does protein. And your body only absorbs about 20 grams at a meal and only half of that absorbs. So you, can't, you can overdose on protein. People don't think you can, but you can. So back to your thing, the best way to start. It's not one size fits all, that's number one. Your body has to do with this thing called grenulin and leptin, how you, you're hungry or not hungry, and you're gonna get some of that at the beginning. I would find something that's comfortable, Jim. If it's 12, start 12. But the key of this, this is not a weight loss program. This is not what it is. It's a health program, and you're gonna find your optimal weight. It's gonna come, but whatever that might be, if you let your body do this. I wouldn't put a time strain on it, Jim, but I would, I would, I would start with 12, I would go to 10 and work your way towards that. Women, I'd stay, I'd stay a little closer to 12 to uh, 12 to eight. They, they talk about that. Um, there's another book, another guy out of, uh, uh, I think it was out of Harvard, Dr. Who's the one with the book called Lifespan. He talks about eating eight hours one day for the next. So there's no one standard, but the key to all of them, back to the New England Journal of Medicine is, the only thing beneficial is restricting when you eat. All right, okay. so just to underline this, you're not talking about a weight loss program here no, at all. No, no. This is all about overall health. Yes. And it kind of goes back to what we've been talking all along about uh, in our other broadcast too, is that every individual is different. So a 12-hour uh, fast may work for somebody, um, but not for everybody. And a 16-hour fast may work for somebody and not for everybody. And I think the important thing is you got to give it a little bit of time. You got to try it out for a period of time, maybe a week or so, to see if you're seeing any results. Um, on that note, when you talk a little bit more you talked earlier about keto. What is the keto flu and what do you do if you get it? Okay, beautiful. Okay, your body makes these things called small chain fatty acids in the gut, back to our gut again, which are very important to protect our lining. And bacteria make those. You have two major bacteria, lactobacillus and bifidiums. Those are the two major groups. So you need, you, and they actually make these uh, three short chain fatty acids, butyrate, um, propanate and acetylate. And what happens is that's in the gut. Now, in our body, 
ketones are energy, like glucose is an energy source. Glucose, your body utilizes it and gives us energy. Now, what is our energy? Our dollar bills in our cell are called ATPs. That's what the mitochondria makes and we use that for energy. So when ATP splits, energy is released. They split in like nuclear power. When, it, when, it, this, when this phosphate is taken off an ATP, energy happens and your cell can move. Sugar, molecule for molecule, makes two ATPs. Ketones make 32. Oh, wow. Gram for gram. So therefore, your body actually likes more efficient and a lot cleaner fuel. Cancer cells only grow on sugar. Interesting. So the war Didn't know that. All right, so what are ketones? The ketone fluids in your body's adapting from this glycolysis, the sugar state, to a fat-burning state. And you get a headache, you get miserable, it's about three days, four days, and your body's just learning to say, okay, gosh, I can live off ketones, and it adapts. So it's about, it's about three to five days, headache, malaise, you feel gar like garbage. The key worst thing is not to stop, not to stop, get through those things, power through that. So you will get through it. Oh, always, always. Okay. And you talk about these hours, last four months or so, I've been eating one meal a day for like an hour. It's, it's I feel great. I lost so much, I just lost weight more than I wanted to. So that was my, I pushed it to myself, I'll see what would happen. So, but the key thing I found was the first place you do lose it and the last place you do get it back when you do stretch out your fasting is your gut. So. The last place you lose like your shoulders, your chest, but you lose you lose the gut the first and it comes back to last if you do it within that intermittent fasting, which is the most important thing we're looking for is our waist circumference. Well, for somebody who's um, not only worried about their overall health, but a lot of people just are struggling with weight in general. What about exercise? What about supplements and vitamins and a diet? A lot of people got rich writing diet books, right? So is there a, a, a regimen someone could enter into to help them lose those pounds and yeah it kind of goes back to what we said before i think yeah. each each body is different right and what, what might work for me may not work for somebody else but i think um you know if you're really looking to lose weight uh obviously starting out doing some exercise if you're not normally doing exercise is important if you're already doing some exercise then you want to change that exercise you want to be going to the gym three days a week and doing the same weightlifting exercises and then on your off days you're either doing nothing or if you're not doing strength training you know you're running the same three or four mile loop and that's it you know you may want to break up your running and do some speed workouts which will save you some time <clears throat> um, you know if you're lifting you know instead of just doing heavy stuff maybe do a lot lighter stuff but do it faster just do more of a cardio burn um, but the important thing is to change things because your body I think it's used to doing the same thing over and over again and it gets and, it, and therefore it doesn't have to work as hard and as a result then um, and scientifically Greg can explain this but from a normal layperson you know your body says okay cool he's lifting weights again today I don't need to worry about burning fat I don't need to worry about doing this or doing that because he's gonna go home he's gonna eat the same stuff and he's gonna sleep the same way and he's gonna come in and do the same thing the next day. So from my perspective at least, um, I think it's very important to change things up if you're stuck in a rut. Um, but if you're really getting ready to start, you know, your new you, you know, then you don't wanna start going from zero to 100. You wanna start off slowly and walk, you know, and then jog and then run. You know, if you want to go weightlift, you know, don't go throw 225 up on a bench right now because you're going to rip your chest muscles apart. Okay. Like it in really falls. Yeah. <laughs> you know, would but be bad. Just start doing some multiple things, you know, going forward. Yeah. Uh, everything Jim was talking about is common sense. But when you talk about these diet books, 
Yeah. They're real. Because what they do, again, back to our three ways how you lose weight. Decrease a macromolecule, either protein, fat, or carbohydrate. So that's what the books are, the, the, the Atkins. Um, decrease caloric intake. So all these things work for a time, but what works forever? That's why I don't want to diet. I want a lifestyle. But like, when you see someone says a diet drink or low fat, run to the hills, okay? Okay. <laughs> okay? Um, Aspartamine is, it actually increases seizures, okay? It kills the bacteria in your gut. Um, this is, and then it's so 600 times sweeter uh, than regular sugar that your body is starving for more, actually becomes starvation. In fact, there's a thing called uh, fatty liver, which you know from alcoholism. There's one called non-alcoholic fatty liver. It's actually from fructose, and, 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 uh, which is a, a, a pentapeptide sugar, and from these, these fake sugars that actually make fat build up in your liver. In fact, Duke, Duke calls it you know, alcoholic liver without the buzz. So it's really important to understand that, that, that you don't want, you want fat makes you skinnier, carbohydrates don't, right? That kind of stuff. So I think it's important again, is to get, I don't think you need a doctor for this. I think you just gotta start reading a bunch of stuff, but what makes sense? Jim brought a point. He looked, talked back about 50 years ago. We look back at pictures of our grandpas. I'm, I'm gonna do a story, a little interesting <coughs> story. I was watching a, a PBS story about four or five years ago on Walt Disney. and just about how he built it, what he did. But a little thing, when he built his, uh, in Burbank Studios, he built a, 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 um, a sand volleyball pit. They loved playing volleyball. He loved playing volleyball. So in the background, there's playing, all these engineers, all these artists are playing volleyball with their shirts off at lunch. Everyone's a six pack. And you know, like, and they're thinner, but their core was important. And it's like, wow, something did happen. And there to, to make our life easier, that movie, the, the, the other thing, the Wally, right? That Disney movie, Wally. Right. We got so great, we just lay in chairs, we move around, we miss it. Walking, activity, reading, thinking, that's important. So what I want to hope to do is impart the five things you need to do. Number one is sleep. Can't stress how important that your body only retains memory when it sleeps. Your body only recycles when it sleeps. It only grows when it sleeps. It only heals when it sleeps. Sleep. Number two is Eat colors, eat rotate foods. We'll just say raspberries are great. Don't have them every day. Rotate, okay, important, because you need fiber, you need pre, uh, you need inulin for the prebiotics. All these things are in food. The best place to get your supplements are from food, okay? Right. Gra Grass-fed, organic, that kind of stuff. Food. The third thing is um, exercise, and Jim hit it on the head. At about three to six weeks, your body will adapt to that exercise. Change it up. The number four cause of death over the age of 70 is falling down. And when all of us, God, God willing, are 80 years of age, we're not gonna say, dang, Jim, my legs are too big. That's not gonna happen. <laughs> so let's build that now, right? Uh, the fourth thing is decrease stress. That's why it's so important to find a place that you could be decrease your stress. Deal with the world, but not, you know, not like an ostrich, but deal with the world. And the fifth thing I find is that people just blow off is replace what you've lost. That's where the bioidentical hormones come in. That's where, I like the word nutraceuticals. Vitamin D comes in, antioxidants, all the things we talk about. That's what I want people to impart. And the best advocate for that is them. So let me, uh, we've got some more Facebook questions. Please. And also, to Greg's point on the four or five things you wanna do, if you follow us on Instagram, we have some great smoothie recipes out there and some other diet recommendations as well. Um, Back to our exercising real quick, uh, questions on that, um, which I can potentially answer also because of my opinions, and I think I already answered the first one. Do you think you can exercise too much to lose weight? You know, And the answer is, I don't think so, no. 
You know, if you exercise too much, you're going to hit a plateau, especially if you're doing the same thing all the time. And sometimes too much exercise can be detrimental to your health. You know, these ultra marathon runners and these, you know, people that do these, you know, 150 mile, you know, races through the, the badlands of uh, uh, parts of the U.S. and what have you, Death Valley in California, um, it's actually detrimental to your health. The body wasn't designed, you know, to do that. Um, so you need to be careful because you're going to hit, get injury, uh, injuries. Um, you know, there's no studies out there that have said that the ultra marathoner lived to be 90 and the guy that, you know, did normal exercise and changed it up every once in a while, you know, uh, lived to be 50. Um, you know, there isn't any data that shows that, you know, a crazy exerciser is going to live longer than actually, somebody else. Jim actually did more data on the other thing. Remember the four, the three damages I talked about? Right. Ultra uh, athletes, it's oxidative stress. They got to take extra glutathione, <clears throat> got to take extra vitamin D because they're, like he said, his bot, their bodies can't adapt to do it, but there's harm to that long term. As we age, jogging is the worst thing to do. Sprint or walk, okay? Jogging is the worst on your joints. So exercise, yes. My wife said everything in moderation, right? That's the key. It's funny you mentioned that because the next question is, will your body store more weight if you do an endurance exercise? And the answer is yes. You know, if anybody has watched a long distance race like a marathon, or you participated in a few like I have, there are heavy people running marathons. I have never seen a heavy sprinter. So I think that answers that question. Because this is up there, I'll that. Mark Sisson wrote a book called Primal Blueprints. Right. He has these twins from Germany that are Olympic athletes. One was a decathlete and one was a cross country, a cross country rain, a runner. Look at their bodies. So, yeah. <laughs> so I wanna go back. You had mentioned before about some of these diet drinks and what happens to, I guess, a, a hormone in your head or what have you that could potentially causes seizures. Yep. You hear a lot about people in general that you know had no issues with any type of health and all of a sudden they're having seizures. You know. It, 25 or 50 or whatever mm -hmm. and you know you don't know what's causing it you go to a regular doctor they run a bunch of tests and say you're fine and just don't drive a car for six months and then you're good to go again um, but you mentioned something very important about that and then the question came up is what is your opinion on steva um, steva is natural okay so let's talk about that but before that let's just go into the seizure thing a little bit in a little bit more detail yeah. you know and, and with these diet drinks and some of these things that we're ingesting that we don't even know we're trying to ingest spartamine is actually an amino acid alcohol. It actually looks like a neurotransmitter in our brain. So that mimics it. It increases a thing called, it decreases a thing called GABA. Glutamine is an excitatory part of the brain and these fake sugars increase that. So that's what happens. And the treatment is to give the body, is to have a keto diet. It almost eliminates people with seizures, okay? First thing to do if you have a seizure now is put you on a fat only diet for your brain. And then put you on all the other, other things we talked about, the supplementation. So that's important. Stevia, if you're gonna do something, do it natural. I think stevia is a natural leaf. You gotta watch out, there are some stevias that are manipulated that aren't, aren't that good, but natural leaf stevia is fine. But sugar, natural sugar is still the best in proper things. And remember, it's the sucrose, which is a glucose and fructose molecule together is worse than pure sugar, which is just glucose. It's the fructose that actually causes more damage. And you asked about these drinks. If you eat an apple, the amount of sugar in that apple is equal to the sugar in the juice. The sugar will not get to the gut. It's absorbed by the fiber in the gut. You drink it, it literally gets to the gut. 
and that's the increased risk of colon cancer. <clears throat> this was on Peter Atia's show, he's world famous uh, GI doctor on this stuff. We, so these actual polyps will grow because now inside the lumen, there's actually fructose lining it and growing it. So again, drinking apple juice or a Gatorade or those things, Jim, we've never, our body was not built to literally have it, a direct access directly there of pure sugar. Okay, it's meant to be digested from the mouth down, broken up, and the fiber around the glucose and the fructose in a fruit is completely different than a, these Gatorade and these, these fast sport Coca-Cola, those kind of things. Back to stevia, gut issues with that? Uh, it can be, I mean, gas is, an, is, but it's a natural one. Uh, again, stevia is the best of the fake sugars because it is a natural leaf. Okay. We don't yeah. want the alcohol ones. And as we're talking about, yeah. as we're talking about drinks, alcohol. You know, we've read everywhere that one glass of uh, a glass of wine at night is good for you. Yet alcohol causes inflammation. Yes. So, talk to us about that. They may, a wine may have different things, a reservoir in it that actually protects the mitochondria. Um, alcohol. There are certain people that have this this fungus in our body called I always mispronounce it. So it's an S, saccharomyosis. It's brewer's yeast, and some of us have it in their gut naturally. If they have that in their gut naturally, and they have a pizza. They'll have they'll they'll have a legal breath matter of being of being drunk, so it, the gut is the key to that. Back to stevia, certain stevias do affect certain people. It has to do with their microbiome of their gut. So nothing's like the safe. The safest thing is what our body's used to at relative things, which is natural sugar, right? But you want to make sure that it's not. Um, you want it within a fruit, within a vegetable. When this whole idea of calories in, calories out is fallacy. A hundred calories of broccoli is different than a hundred calories of jelly beans. So that's why it's important. Whole foods is the best way to go. Well, it sounds like you're, all of this is uh, an adaptable body that uh, you can have a poor health uh, or eat poorly and have a, an overweight body. It adapts to whatever it is you're putting in your body. One or two towels ago, we brought this up. I said the oxidative stress from eating a Big Mac and fries and a Coke, half an avocado negates that. Okay, so just yes, the amount, yes. just the amount of stuff in there. So, so that's what's so important here is the the I can't stress how bad gluten is. Celiac disease, which is a gluten caused disease, is is it's genetic plus the gluten. If you look at our gut, the villi in our gut is tr like shag carpet of the seventies. When those get blunted, you don't absorb or get mal you get malnourished and malabsorption. That's why everything, and again, our gut literally talks to the brain via the vagus nerve. That gut-brain access is everything. So I want people to stress this, how important the gut is. Our gut is our largest organ exposed to the environment. It's the skin inside. You would not walk around with cuts all over your skin and think you're healthy. Living that way inside the gut and then all these molecules that can't and are not supposed to be permeable are getting permeable. That's why I spend a lot of time when we have our patients come in here, we talk about all this stuff and how bioidentical testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, probiotics, vitamin D work to go to the root cause. Again, I believe Dechamp was more correct than the germ theory of Pasteur. I believe all these viruses and bacteria are out there all the time. And again, as I said before, we have 30 billion viruses and 60 million bacteria in our body. Why are some people sick? It's the overgrowth of the of the normal ones. It is over. It's underproduction of the normal ones with with um, these ones that are, are or more opportunistic. Our immune system is the key. So I want to 
um, we need to move on to chronic disease yes. uh, yeah. soon. So let's close with uh, one more question on fasting, and then we'll maybe wrap up with any quick advice, and then we'll move on to chronic disease. That sounds like a good plan. We have some testosterone questions that we have to um, get asked here as well. Um, for a woman, should you do 72-hour 72 72 fasting regularly, like once a week? Most literature says no. I wouldn't do that for a man. If I do a 72-hour fast, what I've read, and like Peter T has a ton of great experts on his website on this, and I've read Dr. Fung's book, depends what the reason's for. A normal schmo like you and me, maybe you and I once every quarter, maybe, and a T is doing that now, a woman, no way. Uh, as once a month, once a week is, is not correct at all. And again, there's no long-term studies on this. We're, here's the problem with, with our life. Our biggest game right now, we're all playing. It's not golf, it's not tennis, it's life. And right. how do you know you're successful? All right. I'm not, I'm not talking spiritually at this point or that, I know materialistically. I'm talking longevity with quality. We're knowing Jim. Jim, what did you do to live 90? Look at you. That's how we know. Okay. So what's important is we have to understand that everything is individualized, right? And I just want to make part of their daily life not like you must do this or X, Y, or Z, but you gotta find your thing. But for women, it's crucially important that their hormonal balances with carbohydrates and fats are proportional. Now, if you have a diabetic ulcer and your foot's wide open, Dr. Fung recommends eating not for 21 days. That's a different story, man or woman. Right. 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 More questions? Yeah, uh, they they are. I don't know if they're diet related or not. So we'll we'll jump in uh, during the chronic disease portion. All right, let's do that. that. So the one thing I would probably leave everybody with, if you're, you know, this works for me, um, and I believe in God, and you know, I know sometimes when I'm trying to eat healthy, you know, I'm thinking to myself, does God really want me to have that extra? bucket of french fries or that extra chicken wing or whatever and the answer is no because he loves me right right if you don't believe in god then just have that person that loves you the most your best friend your husband your wife your kid whoever as your little person on the shoulder and so when you want to get that extra piece of food or you're thinking about maybe not fasting or you want to go an extra hour you know what would that person say to you and if you can just simply follow that um, you know, you could be on your way to uh, dropping some pounds down the road and being becoming more healthy. May I ask your wife? You said dropped eighteen pounds, and you're you're living a healthy lifestyle, as is you, Doctor. Um, that that motivates you. I mean, you feel differently, and doesn't that help in this journey that uh, folks are on to be healthy, to live healthier? Y- yes, and this is the part we started at the very beginning. I want people that are overweight to realize it's not because they're lazy. Okay. Some might be, but if you eat exactly what the government recommended, okay? If you eat, Dr. Fung makes fun of this in in his book, he talks about if you eat what the American Diabetes Association recommends, you'll be diabetic, all right? Okay, (laughs) I mean, think about diabetes. There's two types, type one, type two. Type one, you don't make insulin, so therefore we need to give you insulin. Type two, you make a ton of insulin, and we give you more insulin. Read the books more thing. But the thing about it is this though, this is important, understand. Is if you, the, the, who, controls, who controls that diet, who controls that thing is, I want more, I don't want centralization of a diet. You know, in certain areas, I've been fortunate, Jim's been fortunate, we travel the world. I love eating different food, different cultures, find those out there. But they're all at the core of the basis ones. You look at the place that live the longest, Greek islands, the, uh, off Okinawa, they're vegetable based. 
a lot of vegetables, lean, good proteins and a high fat diet, a lot of water, and they walk a lot of places, all right? The places that are sedentary, eating the preservatives, the packages, that's our problem. So sometimes it's not caloric that problem, it's the quality of that caloric aspect. Any final thoughts, or do you want to move on to, not only do we have an- I'm going to surgery in a few minutes, so yes, that's why I has got text. All right, well, uh, a weight issue in, in here, but we also have chronic disease, and that's been highlighted because of uh, you know what we've been going through recently, that those individuals are, are more vulnerable. Uh, what kind of chronic diseases do we see that has become more normal than not? And that's the thing I love you said, the word normal. A chronic disease is not normal, right? but they're all over the place. Yes. I go back to the three pathophysiologies, oxidative stress, immunity, inflammation, and vascular injury. What do we do? I'll give you an example. What's our first line of defense our immune system has? Ready for it? Ready for it? Cholesterol. It's a big sponge that sucks up viruses. But wait, wait, a, wait a second, I hear that's bad. Exactly. I heard cholesterol's exactly. bad. So that's why it's so important to, wow. get, to, to start doing and digging your own research, okay? If your body's brain, if your body your brain uh, keeps 25% of the body's cholesterol and the brain's virtually 100% fat. There's gonna be some benefits to this. I don't want to cholesterol path, but chronic diseases, I believe, goes back to gut health. The bigger molecules getting in our body, they should not go in there. I think a lot of these chronic infections are autoimmune, like Hashimoto's, uh, atherosclerosis, um, doctor, he's at Vanderbilt. Uh, gosh, I forgot his name, phenomenal thing. He says atherosclerosis is an inflammatory disease. We know that doubt it is. The vascular injury occurs, you get an immune response, and our body attacks that area. It's an immune response, not a high cholesterol. That's a byproduct of being there. So again, we gotta decrease oxidative stress, free radicals. We gotta decrease um, our immune system, overreaction to react properly. But chronic diseases, smolder to smolder right all the time are they related 100%. i mean the, 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 these two topics are obviously related 100 so we talked a lot about healing with food um obviously we do hormone replacement therapy here and what have you how does that affect chronic disease treatment? beautiful back to our oxidative stress what decreases free radicals and how our body works testosterone what actually makes the vascular uh, endothelium stronger? Testosterone, estrogen, progesterone. What actually helps the immune system work properly? Our testosterone by keeping the mitochondria healthy. In fact, the COVID thing, the paper out of Italy showed 70% of people died of, died of COVID had low testosterone, 80% low vitamin D, all right? So again, testosterone is the gasoline that makes every cell function. And when I say testosterone, estrogen, progesterone in the proper levels, both male or female. They're anabolic steroids, which means they are pro-growth. Catabolic means breakdown. You need that too, such as cortisol, for short periods of time. The problem is our, our adrenal system is all, all the time, so we're getting breakdown more than we're getting built back up. That's why it's important to get our adrenals balanced by, by balancing our other stuff. But again, you can't run your Ferrari, Jim, you can wax it, you can armor all it, you can do everything you want, I and mean, it looks beautiful. You can't drive it without gas, and we're the gas. Well, Jim, if you have questions, jump in, but let me ask you this. Those people who are living with these chronic diseases have been told you gotta live with it. I mean, this is, this is the way it is. I mean, is there hope for people who are watching on Facebook right now that these diseases can be, uh, can be eliminated? I believe we're always have diseases, okay? Right. I believe we do things, we should look at places and populations that don't have as many, okay? 
Uh, Dr. Lungo at USC wrote a great book on longevity, looking at these areas of the place with the most centenarians, 100 year olds, and what they do. Uh, and it's very interesting to look at all that stuff, but it comes down again to those processes, Bill. And again, I want us to do the thing I'm looking for, very important to understand, is that if you're looking for one thing, again, we'll use the example of penicillin. I got a bacteria, penicillin breaks the wall open, and I kill the disease, great. I don't believe that's how the body really works. Magnesium affects 300 enzyme functions, zinc 100, vitamin D a thousand genes, not just processes, a thousand genes. I think the future is gonna be those three pathophysiologies and doing things that decrease inflammation, oxidative stress. Exercise is one of them, sleeping is another one of them, and the right foods. Rapid fire real quick, because he has to get going. Yep. Um, Back to uh, testosterone real quick. We obviously do the pellets here. Um, why not do the shots? Beautiful. Two things. The first study and the longest study was done on pellets was in 1935 on a woman, 37 on men. What I wanna do is mimic our body's production as best as possible. People say that the, the shots are bioidentical. They're correct and not correct. The molecule beta 17 beta testosterone is bioidentical but it's bound to an ester, another molecule. That's not, that must be cleaved. So the half-life is three days, it goes up, it goes down. And the roid rage, the anger, is when it's dropping, not when it's high. So there's a peak and valley. Creams don't get nearly the volume you want to get to the, the proper levels. The pellet mimics our testicle production or ovary in a beautiful steady state that lasts four to six months, so it's constant. That's why, so we mimic our body the best we can. Yeah, and you don't have to see you uh, once every four, four months. months or six months as opposed to coming in every week for shots. For shots. Um, this is a glutathione question. Um, does it keep your body from making it naturally? No, it actually, glutathione, you don't actually take, your body needs for a couple things. You take uh, NAC, uh, N-acetylcholine and our body will convert it to glutathione. Glutathione, back to our oxidative stress, gets rid of free radicals, but it's a cycle here. Glutathione, vitamin C, vitamin E, all, and coenzyme Q10 are all free radicals, scavengers, okay? In fact, vitamin C is the refueling for the other ones. So if your body's not producing enough from your diet, where it comes from, therefore, IV hydrations, IV glutathione is 100% absorption rate, PO is about 30% absorption rate. So the answer is no, because your body needs those to make it. Okay. Any opinion on PQQ? Have read it could be a substitute for HCQ. Yeah, that's interesting. So that's another anti, it's another free radical aspect of it. There's a lot of literature on that, but it gives it back to mitochondrial health. I would not say it's a replace, it may be a, you could use it with it. Okay. And were you referring to Dr. Litton at Vanderbilt? No, not no? Litton. No, okay. it, it's, I know his name. Mark, it's Mark something. Great. Anything you want to leave the audience with today? I, I did get sciencey, which I love doing, okay? And I think it's crucially important. We could talk about it and make it simple, but the complexity of this should not scare us away. I don't want you to think, what's the vitamin D to do in those thousand genes? Just know it does work on a thousand genes. I think it's yeah. very impressive yeah. to know just how impactful vitamin C is. Yeah, that's just why itself. I, every single cell in the body needs vitamin C. Without vitamin C, you can't have glutathione, and our cells don't make it. 
Well, I know you have to take off. And as always, <laughs> Dr. Greg Brennan, it's a pleasure. Jim, too, it's great to have you take time out of, obviously, your busy schedule. And for the folks on Facebook, thank you for tuning well, thank in. Thank you so much, guys. And uh, participating as well. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Until then, have a great evening. Thanks, Bill. Thank you, Bill.